If you have a Bible, I would invite you to turn with me to Mark chapter 6. We're going to be looking this morning at Mark chapter 6, verses 53 through 56. So let's give our attention again to the reading of God's holy and inspired word. When they had crossed over, they came to land at Gennesaret and moored at the shore. And when they got out of the boat, the people immediately recognized Jesus and ran about the whole region and began to bring the sick people on their beds to wherever they heard he was. And wherever he came, in villages, cities, or countryside, they laid the sick in the marketplaces and implored him that they might touch even the fringe of his garment. And as many as touched it were made well. Most gracious Father, as we come once again to your word, we ask that you would, by your spirit, add your blessing to this reading of your word. That you would strengthen me, that I may preach faithfully, that we may all see our Savior clearly. Indeed, Father, by your spirit, illumine our hearts and minds that we might understand your word and learn to rest more in Christ our Savior. In his name we pray. Amen. Well, With this section of Mark, these last few verses of Mark chapter 6, there's kind of a a bigger section of Mark that's coming to an end where there's been all of this ministry that Jesus has been doing and it's all been kind of, or, or most of it has been in one way or another kind of geographically related to the lake, the Sea of Galilee. They've been kind of going back and forth and, and healing people and there's been all these different healings that have happened and all of these different miracles that have happened. He, he healed Jairus' daughter. He healed the woman with the flow of blood. He, you know, he calmed the sea twice. He walked on water. He fed 5,000. There's just been all of these incredible miracles that have been going on. And along the way, we've learned a great deal about Jesus, and we've learned a great deal about who he was and, and what he came to do and how he did the things he did. We've learned a great deal about his disciples and at times, their like, ability to go out and minister and heal people. But then at other times, their complete lack of faith and, and just their complete befuddlement at who Jesus even was. And we've learned a lot about the masses that came. That, that when they came in faith, they found healing in Jesus. But when he was in his hometown, in the section where he went away from the lake for a little bit, he wasn't able to heal people because he didn't find any faith there. And then we learned about these masses that that wanted to force Jesus to be king. And so Mark kind of brings this section of his gospel to an end with just this summary statement about these healings that were going on. But in this section, we see kind of four things about Jesus in this summary statement. We see that there's this growing popularity that more and more people are understanding and figuring out who he is. And so secondly, we see with that growing popularity, there's an increased demand on Jesus. But with that increased demand, there's a continual effectiveness of Jesus in his ministry. And finally, we'll see that there's an unending mercy that is found in Christ. So that's where the sermon is going to go. But first, because there's this weird kind of uh, geographical oddity at this 
point in the story that some people use to try to undermine the the validity of Scripture, I want to offer one brief apologetic note. Now, most of us wouldn't be aware of this unless somebody told us, but people do use this to try to undo Scripture. If you were to look at a a map of, of the cities around the Sea of Galilee, you would see kind of up on the, the north, I guess it would be the northwest corner of the lake, a town called Capernaum. And that's where they, they were somewhere around Capernaum when they fed the 5,000. And they were, remember, on their way to the wilderness to, to rest. And Jesus, it says, put his disciples in a boat after feeding the 5,000 to head to Bethsaida, which is further upshore, further north. So that's where they were trying to get. And that was the last story we read. And then this story starts, when they had crossed over, they came to land at Gennesaret. Now, the problem here is that's nowhere near Bethsaida. In fact, it's the opposite direction. And so some people look at this and say, see, this, this doesn't work. There's a pro- like, you can't trust the Bible. They're, they're going all different kinds of directions in the same story. It doesn't add up. But... There's a couple of different ways that we can think about this that help us understand what might have happened. Some people argue that, that this is this kind of literary device, that it, the Gentiles weren't ready to receive Jesus, so they never made it to Gentile country. I think that may be a little bit much. It's fun to think about, but I think it might be a little bit much. Some people might argue that, well, we don't know exactly what all the names of the towns are, and sometimes... The same name was used for multiple towns, and so it might have been just another place. Maybe, but but also probably not. There's two ways, though, that that kind of make sense of this. One, there might just be a narrative gap in the story. Everything that Jesus did isn't recorded in any gospel. All of the gospel writers used the parts of the story and the parts of of the narrative of Jesus that they wanted to use in order to make the point that they were using. And that doesn't undo the historic validity of the text in any way. So it might be totally plausible that Mark was like, you know what, they made it to Bethsaida, but all they were doing there was resting. And that doesn't really make any of the points that I'm trying to make. So when they crossed back over and got to, you know, Gennesaret and, and stuff started again, he picks the story back up there. That's a completely plausible thing. If you were writing a story and you were in a section where you were trying to show how Jesus ministered to the sick, and then a, a camping trip that he went on with his disciples might not kind of fit in what you're trying to do in your narrative. So it's totally plausible that, that, that there's just a narrative gap. And that doesn't undo the historic validity of the Bible in any way. Now, there's another good option, though. If you remember what happened in the last story, his disciples are in a boat heading to Bethsaida, and he's on the shore, and a big storm comes, and they're not able to row against the storm. And and after all night fighting, if we follow how Mark presents it in the text, Jesus finally walks out there on the water and is like, hey, I'm here, everything's going to be okay. Now, it's entirely plausible also that in the midst of a storm that very skilled fishermen were unable to like combat with all the skill that they had, this wouldn't have been the first storm that they were in, it's entirely plausible that they simply got blown off course. And though they were trying to get to Bethsaida, this wind 
The winds, by the way, typically came from the north. And so it adds up that if this big storm blows in from the north, they end up somewhere south of where they were trying to get. That's an entirely plausible option also. Now, we don't know which of those actually occurred. The point of this kind of little apologetic section in this sermon is just to remind you that when we come across stuff like this, we don't have to believe the critics that say, oh, see, the Bible can't be trusted. There are explanations if we're willing to dig and if we're willing to think a little bit. And so here's two plausible ones for this. Now, on into this sermon. One way or another, we're at this town south of Capernaum. We're, we're, We're at Gennesaret and This is a significant town. This isn't the first time they've been there. In fact, in Luke chapter 5, we learn that this was the site of Jesus calling his first disciples. And in that moment, when he was calling his first disciples, according to Luke's account, he was was preaching. It's in Luke 5. It's the Sermon on the Shore. And he's preaching, and there's a great crowd of people there. And so he gets in one of the fishermen's boats and pushes out so that he can kind of speak to everybody. And then he tells that fisherman who's been fishing all day and has caught nothing, throw your nets over and catch some fish. And the fisherman's like, we've been trying they're not biting today or whatever fish do to nets. They're not getting caught today. But he does it anyway, and they have this miraculous catch of fish. And he brings them all in. And probably a whole lot of people there on the seashore would have seen this go down and been like, wait a minute, that's not how fishing normally works. This guy based on what he was just teaching us and now based on us seeing him like apparently control fish is something different. So when Jesus shows back up, we see that his popularity has grown and people immediately, it says in verse 54, recognize him and start running here, there, and yonder, gathering everybody up. He's here. He's back. And they're running all over the region, letting people know Jesus is back. Get your sick. Let's go. Because they're starting to, to know who he is just when he shows up. He doesn't even have to do anything anymore. He doesn't have to do some big, you know, big miracle to, to prove who he is. People are just recognizing him at this point and coming to wherever they can find him. And so his popularity is growing. And with his growing popularity, there's an increasing demand on him. We see this in in verses 55 and 56. It says they, they ran about the whole region and began to bring the sick people on their beds to wherever they heard he was. I mean, you know, this is just like, Word of mouth, gone crazy. And they hear that, oh, he's in this village. And they all run there. Oh, he's in this town. They all run there. Oh, he's here. They all run there. And I mean, it's just this like, apparently like mob of people following him around. Wherever they hear he's going, that's where they're all going to show up. And what they're doing is they're bringing all of their sick people with them to lay them down at his feet for him to heal them. They just want, it says, just let us t- 
touch your robe. It reminds of the story of the, the woman with the blood just a, a few stories back where he's on his way to heal Jairus' daughter and this woman who, who's unclean sneaks through the crowd and touches Jesus' robe and is healed. Perhaps they had heard that story and sort of like, look, we're not even going to trouble you that much. Let, just Apparently your robe's all we need. Let's just touch that and we'll be on our way. Can you imagine being in a situation where wherever you went, mobs of people showed up wanting something from you? It would be, even for me as someone who, I mean, I'm an extrovert, I always want people around. It would wear even me out eventually. And I would be eventually on my way back to a cabin in the woods somewhere to get away and stop. But what we see is different with Christ. What we see with Christ is that his ministry continues to be effective. They come, they ask, can we just touch the hem of your robe, the fringe of your robe? And it tells us in verse 56 that When they touched it, they were healed. Just like that. All of these sick people coming to Christ, touching His robe, and finding healing in Him. He's not, you know, leaning down and touching them. It doesn't say He's not like He he did, like spitting or making mud or any of the things that, that we've seen Him do when He would use you know, different means to heal the blind. He's not doing any of that. He is just this source of healing for the people around him, for anyone who comes to him. Now, some people here point out that this shows us that they really didn't get who Jesus was, that they were just there for the benefits and nothing else. But here's, here's the problem with that. We go back to the beginning of of Mark 6 and we find Jesus in Nazareth, his hometown. And people don't believe in him. There's no faith there. And he's unable to heal people because of their unbelief. That's the whole point of this story. We we read in verse 5, and he could not do mighty works there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. His ability or his inability to heal people is connected with their lack of faith. So when we read this story and we read that quite the opposite is happening, this isn't a situation where people aren't getting killed and so they just keep following this guy around hoping for better luck next time. People are being healed just one after the other everywhere he goes. Every village, every city, every town, everywhere he goes, people are being healed. So perhaps it's not the case that they didn't get it. Perhaps it's not the case that they were coming in lack of faith, but still getting these benefits because that doesn't seem to be how Jesus' ministry works at the beginning of this chapter. Perhaps 
what they were doing was recognizing that Jesus could provide for them everything they needed. That He really was the God who heals. That He really was the the one who was the deliverer. That He really was the promised Messiah of the Old Testament who, as a sign of His Messiahship, would heal people. Perhaps it's not that them coming to Him for their needs was a sign of their trivial faith. Perhaps our penchant to interpret it that way is a sign of our trivial faith. That we don't think Jesus is actually in this for the daily bread kinds of things. That that somehow we need to go somewhere else for those things. And all we're supposed to go to to Jesus for is salvation. Perhaps it's not these masses that aren't getting Jesus. Perhaps it's us with our skepticism when we see those kinds of interpretations go, oh yeah, that makes sense. They were just in it for the goods. Perhaps we're not getting Jesus. Perhaps he wants us to come to him for everything, like he says. So so I, I, I think... As we see the continued effectiveness of Jesus' ministry on these people as they show up in droves and are just like, can we just touch your robe? And they're healed. We should learn from that. We should learn from that. We see the next point. I want to be very carefully. I didn't say finally we see. I said next we see the unending mercy of Jesus. I love these three words that are at the end of this story. As many as. I love those three words there. As many as came and touched his robe were healed. There wasn't a limit to the mercy, to the capacity of mercy for Jesus on those in need. As many as came, as many as just touched his garment, were healed. This should remind us of of what we read back in Jeremiah's lament in chapter 3. Remember my affliction and my wanderings, the wormwood and the gall. My soul continually remembers it and is bowed down within me. But this I call to mind and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in Him. That's how we should be seeing Jesus in this passage with His mercies new every morning, with His faithfulness great, with His steadfast love being unending. That's the picture that we have here. He's not getting worn out and run down by the needs of His people. It's why He came. 
He came to show us mercy. He came to meet us in our weakness. He came to meet us in our need. He came to meet us and minister and give to us in our brokenness. He came to meet us in our sin. And His mercy is unending. Just like it was for these people. His disciples needed a break. They needed to go on on their retreat, just like we need to go on retreats from time to time. But even as he's taking them on retreat and thousands of people show up, Jesus says, let's feed them. Let's make sure they have what they need. And let's make sure there's a whole lot left over, just to make a point. And when he shows up and people recognize them and and gather up all that are in need from wherever they can find them and come and lay them at his feet. He heals them. There's no rebuke, oh, you of little faith, like we often see with the disciples or the people in his hometown. It's just mercy upon mercy, grace upon grace. So why does this picture of Jesus matter for you and I this morning? It teaches us how we should come to him. See, we often fall into this trap of thinking, believing, even though like if you've been here for any amount of time at all, you would at least know not to say the Lord helps those who helps themselves. You know, like if I if I let those words leave my lips, somebody is going to like there's going to be a line of people to correct me. But we often function that way. Rarely are we willing to be this desperate before Jesus. Rarely are we willing to to admit our need to such a degree that that we're willing to go, I mean, look, even if I just touch your robe, can I just, I mean, that's just that. In in a few stories, we're going to read about a woman who's like, Look, she compares herself to a dog. Even the dogs eat the scraps that fall from the table. Rarely are we willing to come to Christ like that. In that place of desperation where what we actually need from him is mercy. See, a lot of times what we do is, yes, we come to Christ when we're in need, but we come to him, if we're honest, Maybe I'm the only one here and this is just like a little bit too confessional of the preacher. But I don't think that's the case. A lot of times when we come to Christ in need, we come to Him not with a posture of, I just need mercy. We come to Him with a posture of, look, I've done everything I can and I need you to recognize that and help me out. We come with a posture of wanting recognition and therefore His help. We come, honestly... Like I ask my kids to come to me with their homework. They'll they'll tell you. If you go to dad and ask for help with your homework and you haven't tried, he's going to send you back and say, go try. And then, if you can't figure it out, come to me. I think that's good parenting advice, by the way. But it's horrible advice for coming to Jesus. But that's what we do a lot of times. We show up and we say, see, I did, I did my homework. Will you help me now? 
Will you recognize that I tried my best, I've, 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 tried, I've done what I can, and now I need your help? See, that's not coming to Jesus for mercy. That's coming to Jesus for recognition and earned help. But Jesus begs us, come to me for mercy. Come to me for grace. Come to me in your sickness. Come to me in your brokenness. Come to me with your failures. Come to me with your sin. And I'll heal you. The word that's used for heal here is the Greek word sozo, the, the, the word for salvation. Come to me with all of, of your, your foul brokenness, with all of your self-worship, with, with all of your self-idolatry, with, with all of your sin. Come to me and I won't run out of mercy. I won't run out of grace. My ministry won't quit being effective. See, far from coming to Jesus with empty faith, I think these people were getting it exactly right. As they recognized more and more who Jesus was, they demanded more of him out of a place of desperation. That's what he wants us to do. As we, and, and that's what we learn to do. As we recognize more and more who Jesus is, that he really is the son of God that died for our sins, that he really is the the king in the line of David who will reign forever, that he really has called us up on to the, the party going on on Mount Zion to celebrate with him, that he really is who he says he is, that he really did come for sinners. The more we learn that, the more we go to him, asking him to be who he actually is. And the more we find that his ministry doesn't lose effectiveness because of our sin. And he doesn't run out of mercy for sinners. That's the savior we need. A savior who doesn't run out of mercy. And the good news of the gospel That's the Savior we have. Run to him. Carry each other to him. And you'll find mercy. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this picture of our merciful Savior that you give us here. And we ask that you would help us to go to him as he is not putting on whatever show we think we need to put on to be recognized, but going to him as he is, as we are, and receiving mercy from our Savior. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.